0: Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. So here we are. It's sort of almost feels like the middle of summer here in D.C. Uh, hopefully everybody else is cooling a little bit. Um, but I'm excited this week to have on the show Priya Krishna Kumar. See, Priya, I was able to do it. It is phonetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what is your formal title at the L.A. Times?
1: Uh, My formal title is Graphics and Data Journalist.
0: Graphics and Data Journalist. Okay. Well, interesting. Well, um, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I think we have a lot of stuff to talk about, both sort of specific projects and maybe some uh, personal philosophies, shall we say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But maybe, why don't we start with having you talk a little bit about your background and how you ended up at at the LA Times? Yeah.
1: Okay. So, um, I went to college at Northwestern, um, in Chicago and while I was there, I got pretty involved with their night lab, which is, um, it's like a journalism program uh, funded by Mozilla that kind of lets people in the journalism school and not in the journalism school experiment with like the intersections of tech and journalism. So I got kind of involved with that and that has just kind of led me to basically all my opportunities since then. Um, I, interviewed for my current job um, while I was at NICAR in college, which I went to because of the night lab. And I have been here since I graduated college for, I don't know, almost three years now. So yeah, it's been awesome.
0: (laughs) That's great. And like the, your website has, it's basically like infinite scroll almost of awesome projects um, (laughs) from the times. Um, I think there are two big topics in my head that I want to get your thoughts on. So um, the first topic is you seem to use a lot of photography in your work, sort of before and afters, small multiples, sliders, and that sort of thing. Um, so I want to get your take on you know, how you use photography, how it relates to data journalism, or even maybe we need to define data journalism first. <laughs> um, so that's the first topic. And then the second topic is this, this balance or uh, relationship – balance, I think is the right word uh, – between interactive visualizations and static. And how you think about using those in in your work. Um, so maybe we could start with the photography because I feel like one of the things I really like about your work is how much photography you use in these sort of real data driven ways. Um, so so can you talk a little bit about you know how you think about using photography in the way that you do at, at the at the newspaper?
1: Yeah, I mean, I personally think so. I'm a terrible photographer, but <laughs> um, I love photography and we have such an incredible photo staff here Mm. that any chance that I can to like collaborate with them, I will like jump at because, and I also think that a lot of our stories are like data stories can really be enhanced by using photography, especially like California where so much of what we do is focused on like the environment Mm. and the drought that we have this like huge wealth of information in these photos. Like why would we not use that? Um, and I'm trying to think of some other examples, too, besides just the environment. We did a bunch of stories over the summer. Um, I did a big infographic about unrest at Trump rallies. And we had photographers who were able to capture that so much more than, like, a chart of... You know, a chart can really, like, convey so much emotion. And I can tell you how many people were arrested and where they were arrested. But if you see a photo combined with that, then you actually feel something. Yeah. And I think if you can make people feel something while they're also getting some data, that's mm-hmm. good too, I think.
0: Do, do you feel that, um, like for the sliders and the interactivity that you've used a, a few times, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you feel like people might engage with those more than an interactive chart or, or just maybe differently than a data visualization when it's a photo interactive visualization?
1: Um, I definitely do think that people approach it differently. Mm-hmm. I think it's just... It's different than what you'd normally expect to see, so you might be a little bit more compelled with it, especially especially if it's like combined with a chart. We did yeah. a project um a couple of weeks ago that compared um Bush and Obama and Trump's first uh, like hundred days and it was it was a quiz, and the first quiz was the two photos of like Obama's and Trump's inauguration side by side, yeah, and that in itself is data, you know yeah. like you can see the numbers in the crowd, but it's still a photo. I don't know. I just think that people come away with something a little bit different than yeah. they would with like a chart or, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think the engagement's is different, right? Because you, you, know, you see actual mm-hmm. people as opposed to data points, which is clearly yeah. different, means different things. Um, what are some of the challenges you've found with working with photography, either in terms of selecting a photo or their quality r- relative to, you know, using data where, you know, you sort of have in some ways more freedom to just make a chart and your choices are aesthetic and what chart to use, right?
1: I mean, I think you still have to approach it with the same level of accuracy and detail that you would with a chart. Mm. Like for the photos of um, the Trump and Bush inaugurations, I made sure that I overlaid the photos on top of each other before I put them side by side to make sure that they were in the exact same frame and that, you know, everything matched perfectly because you can still mislead, just in the way you can mislead people with data or a chart, you can mislead them with a photo too. Yeah. So if you're incorporating a photo into like a data journalism project, I just think you need to be really cognizant of that while you do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: The same goes with sliders too. Like if you do a, a slider with two images that don't exactly match, I think it's kind of pointless.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And do you work with the the photo journalists there to say, oh, we have this concept of, of a story that we want to do of before and after the drought, for example, you did this piece mm-hmm. on the drought. Do you say, you know, we kind of want to get this picture so we can line it up or is it just happenstance that, you know, you get photos and they're like, oh, I remember this other thing and we can line these up now?
1: Um, well, for the drought ones, we found them on our own. I think mm. we use satellite imagery for that and that's something we can do on our own. Yeah. But a lot of the times if I'm looking for a photo, I will just like shoot our – you know, photo department had an email and he'll get back to me within like two minutes. Um, they're always eager to like help us out and work with us. I think it, you know, it helps all of us. I think when we can work together like
0: that. Right. Absolutely. Um, cool. Okay. Um, well the other big, uh, question or or topic I think in, in the field of, of journalism and data journalism is the, uh, balance between making something interactive versus making something static. Um, you had a piece, um, I think it was last October, um, Mm -hmm. about how, you know, California sort of switch from uh, red to blue. Um, and it was a whole bunch of sort of small multiples of California, and they were all static. And then only at the very end of the article was a sort of interactive data table where you could go in and put in your, your zip code or, or your your city. So I'm curious about your philosophy, your thoughts on the balance between making something interactive versus making something static.
1: I think a lot of the times, I think lately I've been trying to hew more towards static if I can. And I think the reason is a lot of the times um, doing like tooltips or interactivity can hide a lot of the pertinent information from a reader. Mm -hmm. And with something like that um, California small multiples thing, like it's a pretty basic, you know, red, blue or independent thing. So you kind of, you get it as soon as you see it. And then if you want that level of additional detail, I think it kind of just depends because with that one, it's like if you do a tooltip, do you hover over one county and then you see all the tooltips for like the rest of the counties? Um, And I I thought that would be like a little too overwhelming. So then at the bottom, there's like a table where you select the county and then you can just see it by year. And I thought that would maybe be more effective. I think also a lot of the times is it's if you rely too much on tooltips and things like that you get into kind of a quandary when you move it to a phone and the reality is that I think that page was viewed I think more than half the people who read it looked at it on their phone and I feel pretty strongly that it's very difficult to do a good tooltip or like a lot of complicated interactivity on a phone Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the times and I think that like a more static experience translates pretty well to a desktop too you Mm -hmm.
0: know yeah yeah are you thinking mobile first for the most part these days?
1: Um, I try to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it gets pretty tempting because we all have these like huge monitors and whatever to yeah. just like design for a huge desktop. But that's just not how people read our stuff. That's how right. I read my stuff and right. how I read the stuff of my peers. But I'm not, you know, ideally you don't create data visualization for your peers, you know. It's yeah. like for our, our readers. Right.
0: So when you're thinking of your reader, when it comes to interactivity, what is the picture you have in your head? Because I often feel like people make interactive visualizations and it's really just allowing a user to go to the second level of diving in and getting all the details. But I don't think that's oftentimes what, you know, regular readers, they just want to get the, they want to get the overarching story and they're not going to dive in. So when you're thinking about your reader, what's the avatar I guess you have in your head?
1: My assumption is that people are usually in a hurry. Mm. Um, it's hard to, like, really capture a reader's attention and expect them to sit down. It's a big ask of anyone to sit down with one of your projects and spend, like, 10 or 15 minutes reading it and, like, really getting in the weeds. Like, I really doubt that that's happening. Mm. So, and if it is, that's awesome, but you, like, really can't expect that. So I want a reader to come to my, like, a page I've done and just get it, you know? Right. Like, I if they spend, like, one or two minutes on it, I would hope that they've kind of gotten what I wanted them to get out of the story, you know? Yeah. And then if they want to spend more time with it, I want that information to be available to them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like the first thing they see, I guess. Yeah. If
0: that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So it's a cost benefit analysis in some way, right? Cause there's it some, is, yeah. there's some subset of your readers who are going to want to dive in, but it's going to take you, a, I would guess maybe not you, but for most people, I would guess like to create the interactive piece, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I would guess to create the interactive piece is going to take a bit more time and investment yeah. than to create the static piece. So as you're thinking about you know, that different reader who's trying to get the data and engage are you, in, in that way, are you thinking, well, I'll just find a different way to just give them the data as opposed to making this huge interactive visualization and just here's the GitHub page or here's a table with the data?
1: Yeah, I mean – I don't think that the solution is to, like, not provide that data, right? I think it's just about, like, maybe giving a way that kind of lightens the load on everybody, right? Like, I made that graphic during election season, Mm -hmm. and it's, like, I could spend, like, another, you know, day or two making, like, a perfect tooltip that will also look great on a phone. Or I could, like, give everybody, like, a a good top-level overview, a table at the bottom, and, like, move on to the next thing. Right. You know what I mean? And, like, the information is still there, but then... I can do more. The readers hopefully still got what they wanted to get out of it. Yeah. And we can kind of all move
0: on. Yeah, you can move on to the next thing. <laughs> so, when you are thinking about documenting your sources plus the methodology um, and providing that background to readers, how are you or how is the LA Times in general approaching that? So, for example, 538 has a GitHub page, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they're doing a lot of, you know, explicit modeling and things. But how are you guys approaching? your sort of openness when it comes to um, the analysis side of, of data and the code behind the data that you've used to scrape from a website and then build this other thing out of it.
1: We have like internal discussions about what we want mm. to be like open source and what we want not to. So yeah. for example, um, two of my colleagues, Joe Fox and John choice. So the, we all kind of had this big department wide effort to do this big map of the election results of every precinct in California. Mm. which is a huge undertaking and we all ended up getting involved. But then at the end, um, John and Joe were the ones who went back and made sure we had all the finalized data and got all of that. And it's like every County in California and every precinct within every County, that's a huge amount of data. Right. And with that, I think it's since we have all of it, it became like, you know, it's a public service to make all of this mm-hmm. available and public. And here's how we parsed it. Yeah. And like with that, and that's helpful not just for us as a department, but for all the journalists in our newsroom who can like now take that data and use it to find stories. But like journalists all across California or like whoever, you know? So I think when it's beneficial to a a larger purpose, I'd say is when we do it.
0: Mm -hmm. When you, um, talk to other folks in the newsroom. So you're a graphics and data journalist. So mm-hmm. what's the relationship like, or what's the, how do you work with the journalists who are maybe don't have that data in front of their title name? Like how's the interaction and how's the workflow uh, with the rest of the newsroom?
1: Um, I think it's really collaborative. I think it's become more collaborative uh, in the past few years too, even mm-hmm. that I've seen. Um, and that's been really like awesome and helpful because for example, if I look at like transportation data, I can look at it for like days and maybe get some meaning out of it, but I still won't come at it with the same context and nuance that like our transportation beat writers would, Yeah, you know? So, and I think especially in our newsroom, we have so many reporters who are so well versed in so many different like niche aspects of the city and state that like, it's beneficial both to me and to everybody else. If we can just like collaborate together. And I think most of our reporters in the newsroom know that like a data source or like a good data source can help like enhance their story and that mm-hmm. if we can work together, um, you know, we can create something that's beneficial to like everybody and our reader. Right. So I think it's been good. It's, if I saw answer made any sense. I don't know. I think yeah. we have a good working relationship with people in our newsroom.
0: I mean I think the transportation data sets a great example. So you have a transportation data set, maybe you talk to the transportation journalist or writer Mm-hmm. how much are you trying to educate them on the, the sort of what it takes to work well with data and to and what you can create with the visualization but i'm thinking sort of first step of like yeah i can give you the mean of this variable but like there's these outliers and and so mm-hmm. i wonder like how much education is going on you know both ways obviously but going on to um, educate the journalists who may not have a strong statistics or math background on, you know, ins and outs of data, or maybe, maybe the journalists at the LA times are all really good at math. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know, but, um, I'm just curious about how that, you know, how the different skill sets are sort of matching up and, and the information sharing and knowledge sharing is, is working at the newsroom.
1: Um, like sometimes what will happen is like a reporter will get a data set and not necessarily know like what to do with it or like how best to parse it. And so they'll bring it, so we have a graphics desk and a data desk, okay. um, and we all we all work together. But we have, like, people who are real statisticians on the data desk, which is not me. So a lot of the times <laughs> they'll bring it to them, and then, like, I'll come in and then, like, work with one of them, and then we'll, like, all work together to figure out what's, like, the best way, the yeah. best thing to do with the data that we have. So it's, like, really collaborative, and I think if I have a you know, big gaping hole in my knowledge, somebody else will like have that, you know, be able to help me out and help the reporter out.
0: Right. So um, I think it's
1: been, it's been pretty good that way.
0: Yeah. It, it sounds like what you have there is the the team that you need to sort of have all of the key skill sets you need to, right. to, to tell these stories. Um, is there a spectrum of data-driven stories? Um, and does the workflow differ between those certain types? So where you might have a Real data driven thing that you got some cool precinct level data, for example, and you' mm-hmm. you're basing out of there versus or not versus, but on the other side where <laughs> you have a journalist who you know went out and interviewed some people and wants some data to to buttress or support the story that they're telling and is there a real fundamental difference in how the newsroom approaches those stories or is it all just collaborative and it all just sort of works out in the end?
1: Um, <laughs> I think it all kind of, like, works, hey, it just out works
0: yeah. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
1: don't know. <laughs> like, I think if someone's like reporting out of Houston and they want census data for Houston. Like one of us can pull that really quickly and help them out. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we're usually working on like multiple things at once. So I can like do that quickly for somebody while also working on a longer term data project. So usually things kind of work
0: out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any longer term data projects you're working on right now that you want to sort of talk about either? quietly without giving away the the headline story uh, talk about maybe some of the methods that you're, uh, uh, and challenges that you're having.
1: Um, yeah, I think something that like we have been working on a little bit is how to deal with the massive amounts of wildfire data that mm-hmm. we have available to us. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, other newsrooms in California have, they've done a really good job of, um, I think, like, KPCC and other, you know, other stations have have done a really good job. But we have all these fires in California and we have all these places like NCWeb and wherever who, like, collect all this data about, like, where the fire is and, like, what's going on, what, you know, what the burn marks are like. And I think what ideally we'd like to do is take all of that and figure out how to use it in, like, a helpful Mm -hmm. and interesting way um, that we can, like, sustain Right You know, hopefully, in like the years to come, because there are always like a bajillion fires every summer, right um so I think that's like the next big thing that I think we would like to tackle, and I would like to you right. know
0: tackle so wildfire seems like a natural one to that's going to recur every year, but are you generally mm-hmm. trying to build as you're building a um an interactive you're building a table? are you generally thinking about how you're going to be able to Uh, maintain that not to maintain it or extend it or use it in another thing and and have the same sort of approach or is it just most of the things you're doing are just a one-off I want to make this map I'm going to go on to the next thing
1: I don't know that this is the best way to do it but whenever I do a project I usually approach it like it's a Mm one-off which is maybe not the best thing because a lot of the times I will like do a project and be like oh like I could you know reuse this later and then I have to go back and like fix it so i can make it like something i can like reuse whereas maybe if i had like approached it from the beginning as something i could reuse it you know would make my life easier (laughs) later on but i think a lot of the times in like the pressure of a deadline you're just like what like let's get this out right um but i think a lot of the stuff that we do that are one-offs end up becoming tools or reusable projects later on
0: interesting
1: so then it's just like a question of i guess approaching a story like do you approach a story with like a templated mindset or do you just kind of go back and fix it later i don't know i'm still trying to figure that out i don't know if you have thoughts
0: on it well no i i think that the templates are 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 great but they also in some ways lock you in to sort of like oh here's the path that i'm going to take you know i don't know a map is a good example you have a map of of california counties and yeah you could reuse the code but then does that automatically lock you into that same kind of map whereas if you started from scratch maybe you would end up in a different map type or maybe not using a map at all. So I, 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 I agree. I go back and forth on whether I should be trying to template everything that I'm working on or whether it's everything I'm going to start fresh. So I'm starting fresh. Um, I, you know, obviously reusable code is, is helpful because you're not starting on on the code from scratch, but right. um, uh, Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have (laughs) have a great answer either, but right. um, Like I
1: think database should be, interesting and like fresh and I don't know like our readers have seen yeah like if a reader has been with us for like five years they or whatever they've seen the same map probably like a bunch of times or the same chart like a bunch of times and like how do we keep them engaged I don't know that using like the same template a bunch of different times is like in their best interest or ours
0: really you know right right yeah, I, I don't know the answer to the template question, but, um, you know, and I think there's different types of content producers who it helps and hurts. So I think of a case where you might want to empower other people to be able to make an interactive yes. map, for example. Right. And in that case, you might want to give them the template because they just, you know, they're not the expert, but they would just want to drop their new data in and go on to the next thing. Whereas... If you are sort of the the initiating the content uh, creation, you might want to have control from the very beginning and be able to think about different ways and you know start from there. I don't know I yeah, it's yeah,
1: uh, yeah, like we have internal like if we find ourselves doing the same thing like over and over and over again, I think we try and make it so that you know we can hand some of that off. Like we have a tool that helps reporters make like simple charts and things like that and simple maps. Um, and that's kind of helped us like, cause we can still help them out with that, but it also frees us up to like, try some of the stuff, the new stuff that we want to try.
0: Right. Do you think that's, uh, this, uh, maybe my last question. So do you think that's the new wave of things in the newsroom is having these custom internal tools? It seems like everybody now has their own custom internal tool. And, mm-hmm. and I guess the, the secondary question to that is Are newsrooms talking to each other about their how they built their internal tools and what's in it and how they can improve it that sort of thing or is it on the la times you're the new york times you're the washington post we're all like yeah we're all friends but we're not that friendly
1: um (laughs) i think we should be talking to each other and i think we are on some things like we use a fork of quartz's chart builder tool Mm -hmm. right um and that's how our reporters make their like simple charts and i think that's been like really transformative for us because it like empowers reporters to find data and use it and see like oh yeah I can do this you right. know and like I, I think there are other newsrooms that use it as well and I mean I don't see why we shouldn't be doing that yeah. because it helps all of us like if I'm like a graphics journalist somewhere else like I want to be able to you know also have the time to like experiment and try weird stuff and like you know And if we can all make that easier on each other, that sounds very like kumbaya, but I think it's important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, here's for the kumbaya moment of data journalism. So um, Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) I'm down Uh, with
0: that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. Priya, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Um, And thanks to everyone for tuning into this week's episode. If you have comments or questions, please do let me know. So until next time, this has been the Policy This Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.